listening to the Grace Moments Podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Singer, and I'd like to welcome you to a very special series we're doing the next few weeks. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and we're going to be doing our part over the next several episodes to learn more about how we can individually practice self-brain care and prioritize our mental well-being so that we can operate at our fullest and best potential in life. I'm going to cover a variety of topics related to the mental health conversation, bringing a faith-based perspective coupled with science and common sense. Mental illness is one of the greatest challenges we face in our modern society, and it's particularly vital that the Christian community understand how to navigate this topic and properly minister to those deeply affected by it. I'm looking forward to this series, and I'm excited to have you join me. Hello and welcome everyone. I'm really excited about today's episode because this begins a four-part series called Patient Heal Thyself in which I aim to give you some information, perspective, and practical tools regarding mental wellness and emotional health. Much of what we discuss in the next few episodes will, I hope, reframe your view of the mental health conversation because a lot of what's going to be talked about here won't be likely brought up in your typical mental health professional's office. It's a culmination of many years of research that I've done on this subject, as well as over a decade of working with military personnel and veterans who returned home from combat, in addition to helping many other people through seasons of deep depression or the after-effects of trauma. It's also the product of having been on my own journey toward mental wellness for many years now, We all go through times in life where circumstances and emotions take such a toll on us that we are thrust into deeply dark nights of the soul, nights we're not entirely sure we'll ever emerge from. And for some, those dark nights are a relatively frequent visitor. Whether it's for a brief season or perhaps the majority of a lifetime, mental and emotional distress isn't something to turn a blind eye toward. Maybe you're listening to this for your own sake or that of someone you care about. Either way... I hope that what's presented over the next four episodes will offer much-needed clarity regarding mental wellness and that you will come away with greater hope and encouragement as a result of what you've heard. Today we begin by discussing self-brain care and why it matters. This will set the tone for everything else we talk about in this series because the thoughts you think, the lifestyle you choose, the beliefs you possess, and the way you care or don't care for your literal brain affects absolutely everything else in your life. We have a lot to cover today, so let's get started. About a year ago, I read a book that changed my life. I saw it referenced in something else I read, so I picked up a copy. Shortly after I started reading it, I knew I was on to something that would radically transform how I viewed and lived my day-to-day life. Kind of funny, I often read before bed, and this book was no different, but I actually had to stop reading this prior to going to sleep because I would get so intellectually stimulated with the light bulb moments I was experiencing because of this book. Thus, I found another time in the day to read from it. I learned some extremely impactful lessons from this book, which I'll aim to spell out for you now. I'm serious when I say that I struggled to put this book down. It was just that good. The book is called The God-Shaped Brain by Timothy Jennings. I've referenced a few quotes from it in previous episodes, but I want to delve into some of his ideas a bit more in depth today. 
Science was not my favorite subject growing up. I was far more interested in learning history or art or literature. I barely passed basic science requirements in order to graduate. But over the years, I've become incredibly interested in the relationship between life experiences and the human brain. I've researched a bit about neuroscience and the inner workings of how God designed and created our minds to function, leading to some fascinating discoveries, of which the information in Jennings' book was one. It's hard to break down what I gained from this book into a few key lessons, but let's look at some reasons why self-brain care is one of the most important things you'll ever do. Number one, our brains, like the rest of our bodies, need care and attention. We all know what it feels like when we take good care of and maintain healthy habits for our body, whether it be regular exercise, a balanced diet, adequate rest, or pleasurable activity, our bodies need to be cared for. Everyone knows the feeling when you try to function on little sleep or poor diet, or when you let yourself get extremely out of shape. When we fail to give our bodies the attention they need in order to perform well, we immediately feel the effects of it. The same is true for our physical brains, even though this is perhaps slightly less obvious than the rest of our bodies. Our brains are the center of everything when it comes to our bodies. What goes on behind our skull is basically headquarters for the entire human anatomy. Witness someone with a serious brain injury and you see a body incapable of proper normal function. While this complex part of our physical makeup is by far the most vital, it is also the least attended to and the least understood. We'd be incredibly surprised to learn all the ways in which we tend to inadvertently abuse this part of our body by the choices we make and the environment we allow around us on a daily basis. Even though at a base level we get that stress or sleeplessness or trauma or depression takes a tremendous toll on our mental well-being, we often don't realize just how much of a toll that actually is. Caring about caring for your brain is crucial to a balanced, abundant, and fulfilled life, and when you fail to do so, the entire rest of your body and your heart suffers. Number two, we are not born understanding how to care for our brains. In fact, much of what we typically do does not promote a healthy brain. I think most of us would probably assume that our brains are born quote-unquote normal and that as we grow it is the toll of certain experiences that change and alter that overall brain function. While this is partly true, what would you say if I told you that we are actually born into this world with an already altered brain, with a brain that is not how we were in originally created and intended to be. In his book, Jennings details the stunning research of how science has come to back up the Bible when it comes to brain health. From a physiological standpoint, Jennings explains that our brains are born with a built-in fear center, an alarm system that helps to signal to our bodies when it's time to react to danger. I'll explain more in detail about this in next week's episode about trauma, but suffice it to say, our limbic system plays an important role in our survival ability. When activated under legitimate circumstances, it can keep us alive as well as safe when it matters most. Built into this specialized alarm system are a host of emotions that when the limbic system is activated, spring to the surface resulting in fear, aggression, anger, insecurity, and a variety of other things that, given a dangerous or threatening situation, would be natural responses. 
Under such conditions, these instinctual emotions would help us to fight or escape the situation. Also, when the limbic system is engaged, it activates the sympathetic nervous system, which releases stress hormones and inflammatory factors that increase blood flow to certain parts of the body and allow us to brace ourselves for whatever threat is going on and to hyperfocus in order to get ourselves out of that danger. In a healthy body, the limbic system should get the message to turn off and cease the flow of stress hormones after a few hours or maybe a couple days following the threatening or dangerous experience. However, in some cases, when that limbic system has been overactivated and the alarm has been sounded one too many times, and this can be the result of any sustained form of stress or trauma or exposure to dangerous situations, once that point has been reached where the limbic system no longer senses when to deactivate, the constant flow of stress hormones and hypervigilant state of mind can begin to inflame and damage other parts of your brain, leading to impaired judgment, inability to tap into healthier emotions, decreased immunity to illness, metabolic problems, and increased pain. There are other parts of your brain that sort of act as a counterpart to the limbic system and are equally as important in keeping a balanced existence. The dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex, anterior cingulate cortex, and the orbital frontal cortex. Generally speaking, these parts of our brains are where we reason, strategize, and plan, where we experience empathy, compassion, and a healthy sense of love, where we feel conviction of guilt or recognize socially inappropriate behavior and where we choose right from wrong. When these aspects of our brains are working well, it allows us to comprehend truth and to think our way through problems, to talk ourselves through situations and perceive correctly about situations. In a healthy brain, these parts can counteract the limbic system in circumstances where the fear center is being too overactive. It can help us understand the difference between a real or perceived threat and allow us to calm ourselves down when unnecessarily stimulated or when the emotions originating in our fear center have gotten the better of us. However, when the limbic system has been overactivated and the flow of stress hormones has begun to inflame and damage these parts of our brain, we can experience an impaired ability to properly perceive and navigate situations, resulting in compromised thinking and reason. This can significantly alter our overall health and functionality. Jennings talks in his book about how we assume that we all enter this world with perfect brains that naturally know how to operate well and do their jobs. Surprisingly, he poses an interesting observation. In humanity's original perfected state in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve had been created with perfect bodies and perfect minds that reflected that of their creator, everything functioned at its absolute highest level of performance. Our dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex anterior cingulate cortex, and orbital frontal cortex all were the primary basis for humanity's emotions and thoughts. Because everything centered around love and truth and logic, the fear center had no reason to be consistently activated. It wasn't until our reason center was compromised thanks to sin that our limbic systems became our default setting and the natural response to life. He writes, because God gave Adam and Eve the ability to create beings in their image, every human descended from them is born infected with this terminal condition. Our brains do not naturally function the way God designed. Now, even when we first enter the world, we are born with an imbalanced brain, no longer operating from a place of trust and love and truth. We naturally are born with doubts, fears, 
insecurities, and unhealthy emotions stemming from our fear center. This terminal state is not our fault, but for the Christian this explains the existence of a sin nature and the inability for us to naturally tap into the healthier aspects of our feelings and understanding. This being said, part of God's redemptive design for humanity is not just the spiritual rewiring of our hearts, but also the literal physical rewiring of our brains. We must unlearn all the things that now come so naturally to us and instead learn our original patterns of trust, love, reason, compassion, and so much more. We have to be taught to become what our first parents started out as in the garden. It takes a work of God in our lives to show us how to live from a place of truth and love instead of a place of fear. In short, all our lifespans are an ongoing process of brain repair, of reordering what went so very wrong many millennia ago with Adam and Eve. Point number three, our brains adapt and respond to whatever pattern of living we establish. For instance, based on what I just told you about the brain, if you tend to keep a high-paced, high-stress schedule, leaving little time for proper rest and recovery, you will likely have an overactive limbic system, an underactive inflamed prefrontal cortex, leading to lack of clarity, impaired judgment, and inability to properly plan or problem solve, as well as less compassion, empathy, and ability to sense love. If you aren't seeking healthy ways of releasing that pressure and allowing your brain and body to reset and refresh itself, you can allow your brain to be damaged by the constant output of stress hormones and limbic system activity and the emotional results when it comes to how you treat yourself, how you treat others, or even how you interact with and worship God can be devastating. Now on the other hand, if you have implemented proper lifestyle changes and are making self-brain care a priority in your daily life, you are able to cope with stressful times better, able to handle your own insecurities more, able to monitor and recenter yourself when your fears, selfishness, aggression, or any host of other limbic system-derived responses surface in your life. Whatever pattern of living you establish is what your brain will adapt to. But if you establish a pattern that goes against healthy brain function and well-being, be aware of the fact that you will eventually reach a breaking point. Your brain, and subsequently your body, can only cope so much before it begins to break down under the pressures of whatever it is you're asking it to do. Keep on kicking in the stress, tension, emotional toxicity, spiritual depravity, etc., and you will eventually start to see the negative effects of that on your overall quality of life. Number four, our beliefs drastically impact the health and function of our brains. In Jenny's book, he talks about actual scientific research that backs up the need for a healthy spiritual belief when it comes to understanding brain function. He explains, brain imaging studies have demonstrated that the more time a person spends in communion with the God of love, the more developed the anterior cingulate cortex becomes. You'll recall this is the part of the brain where uh, we discern right from wrong and where proper perceptions of love, empathy, and compassion take place. He continues, not only that, the person experiences decrease in stress hormones, blood pressure, heart rate, and untimely death. Even in our mortal and defective bodies, love is healing. 
Conversely, the more time spent contemplating an angry, fear-inducing deity, the more damage to the brain and more rapidly one's health declines, leading to early death. He even mentions at one point that 2007 brain research revealed the same brain circuits that activate to actual painful stimuli also activate when people merely imagine painful stimuli. Basically, your thoughts literally have the power to reshape your brain and what you believe at your most basic core is really a matter of life and death. Isn't that incredible? If you think about it, back when Adam and Eve were in the garden, there was no space for fear. Humanity in its purest created form enjoyed the closest relationship with God it ever has. God was not someone to be afraid of. He was our closest friend. But when Eve believed the serpent and became afraid of God, and Adam became afraid of losing Eve and gave in to eating the fruit, love became broken by a lie, and the human brain instantly changed. The prefrontal cortex losing its governance and the fear center becoming inflamed, leaving our brains, which God designed to rewire themselves based on our thought life, degenerated. Jennings says God's methods of love and truth strengthen the anterior cingulate cortex and calm the fear circuits. This means that the more clearly we embrace love-based God concepts and act altruistically, the healthier our brains become. And on the other hand, the more fear-inducing our God concept is, the more selfish our actions and the more damage occurs. Because the fear circuits of the brain produce powerful emotions and can lead to impulsive decision-making, our emotions are not designed to be in charge of our actions. God designed us to experience pleasure and deeply powerful emotions, but this is meant to be in harmony with healthy prefrontal cortex action. With overdeveloped fear circuits and underdeveloped love circuits, with minds that no longer know God or operate on His law of love, without divine intervention, this condition is terminal, for life is only compatible with the law of love. This indicates that the choice we make to either move toward love or away from it have direct correlation with our physical well-being or lack thereof. Number five, when situations cause the brain to rewire itself and when its preferred rhythm gets out of balance, it is our responsibility to help it recall and reestablish its ideal function to the best of our ability. Now that you know that you've been born into this world with a faulty brain. It may be easy to feel like you've inherited an irreversible malady over which you have no control. And while it is true that we will never fully return on this earth to the same level of perfected mental function as did Adam and Eve, it is equally true that God is in a constant state of restoration when it comes to our lives and that there is much we can do to cooperate with Him in that process. When He brings us to saving faith in Him, the brain rewiring immediately goes into effect, allowing us to ever so slowly begin to operate once again from that place of love, trust, and truth we once did so naturally in the beginning. We have a responsibility to take care of our brains. In 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20 the Apostle Paul says, Do you not know that your body is a temple, the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. This command signifies that now that you have been chosen and called to faith by God, you now have the responsibility to take care of your body, 
so that you can be the best possible habitation for the Spirit of God inside you. This includes your mental health. If you're still choosing to live from your natural default setting of fear and refusing to work with the Holy Spirit in learning what it means to operate more from a place of faith and trust and love, then you are allowing all the negative aspects of your old self, the self dominated by an overactive limbic system. You're allowing that to prevent you from transforming into the new you God desires you to become. Paul wasn't just speaking about the soul when he challenged the Romans to not conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God doesn't just want your heart to change. He wants your mind, your literal brain, to change too. A relationship with God actually transforms you, both in your soul and in your physical body. And there is so much you can do to aid that transformation process in your day-to-day life. We'll be talking on a more practical level about this in the coming episodes. But for now, understand that you have a choice between love and fear presented to you constantly. Will you operate from your default setting or from the renewed mind God is in the process of instilling in you? Number six, the medical field can only do so much when it comes to a healthy brain. A lot of it depends on what you do. Of course, modern medical knowledge has its place when it comes to addressing certain aspects of mental wellness. There are situations where a doctor, psychologist, psychiatrist, or counselor's input is needed, but a majority of mental distress cases actually could be turned around with little to no medical intervention if the individual were given the right tools and the motivation to help turn their own life around. 2 Peter 1.3 says that God's power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And I believe that literally God has provided us with so many things at our disposal that directly translate into healing if we're only willing to take hold and embrace them for ourselves. Often, I think that we, while we espouse God as the great physician, don't often place enough weight on his ability nor the things he's graciously provided for us outside of the medical system. We've become so accustomed to modern-day medicine having all the answers to our physical and mental issues that we often dismiss extremely helpful information and self-brain care knowledge that could save us a lot of medical bills and boost our overall quality of life. Modern-day medical professionals largely aren't schooled in the alternative forms of care such as animal therapy, music therapy, being out in nature, and yes, even theology. The professionals are paid by insurance companies and pharmaceutical agencies to sell certain medications and forms of treatment to people, even if those means of assistance aren't exactly what the person is really needed. Diagnoses are made with the intent of often hooking you up with something that will alleviate symptoms rather than help you get to the root issues of whatever it is you're dealing with. Having spent over a decade working with military personnel and veterans who came back from combat, I saw this pattern constantly. Otherwise physically healthy individuals who are mentally struggling being so-called treated via their symptoms, while professionals never bothered to actually get to the real issues which were largely associated with high-stress, sleep-deprived environments, and with individuals who were often grieving loss on a massive scale. Simple brain care strategies would have done a lot to get these people back on their feet, and likely save them a lot of medical appointments 
and not gotten them addicted to medications. Often, when I would present alternative perspective to these soldiers coming home, it was as if a light bulb went on, and their road to healing suddenly seemed more doable and less hopeless and intimidating. They would realize that perhaps they'd been a little too trusting of the medical field, where most people had merely trained by the manual instead of trained to treat to the individual case or to the whole person. When I would give these individuals some basic skills necessary to begin taking back their quality of life, it was amazing at how quickly they and I would begin to see results. Sometimes you have to step back and realize that the so-called experts don't get it all right and that seeing a medical professional isn't always your only option. There's a lot you can do on your own and with the help of friends and family to start implementing a solid self-brain care routine that will be highly effective for you going forward as long as you stick with it. Self-brain care matters. After all, you have one brain, and while it is incredibly resilient, it can also be irreparably and irreversibly damaged in a multitude of ways. The daily choices you make to take care of yourself and to prioritize your mental well-being can significantly mitigate the effects of trauma, stress, and a host of other factors on your overall health and functioning ability. Timothy Jennings, who we've quoted so much in this episode and will continue to reference in the ones to come, simply sums it up this way. As we spend time with our God of love, we become more and more like him. It's true. You change and adapt to what you're most surrounded with and likely to emulate. And if you're constantly creating an environment in your life where that God of love can be more easily experienced and understood, mental well-being is a natural byproduct. On the contrary, if you're allowing your lifestyle and environment to increase and aid the natural function of your overactive limbic system, then you can be assured that you will only see your mental health decline and your physical health decline as well. We cannot always control the painful, traumatic stimulation that comes into our brains on a regular basis. We live in a fallen world with fallen people who have overactive limbic systems too. That in itself is bound to create challenging situations as we all suffer our way through it all. However, if there's anything I hope you take away from this episode and the rest of this series, it's this. God has given you tools in His Word and the world around you to take responsibility for how you navigate this thing called life. While you can't control what happens to you, you can control your responses to it and that means accepting and embracing your role as a major contributing factor in your overall mental well-being. Second to God, you have the most powerful influence over you. How you talk to yourself and the messages you allow to have the greatest impact on you. What you watch, what you take in, what you do, who you're around, how you schedule your daily life and what you prioritize. It all matters and it's all either making you more receptive to love and truth and health or less so. There's no neutral ground when it comes to your mental health and you have the chance to own it and determine a lot of where you'll end up in life regardless of what you've been through. So as we kick off this series for the next month, I hope you'll bring an open mind and be willing to seriously look at how you do life because everything we'll talk about has some application to you on some level. I want you to experience the abundant life God has for you I want you to not just survive the difficulties you're presented with. I want you to thrive in them, to be stronger because of them, to be transformed through them. And that means learning how to manage yourself in such a way 
that even the worst things you go through move you deeper into grace, deeper into love, closer to who you're meant to be, and closer to the God who never stops shaping you into his new creation. Thanks for listening today. I hope you'll join me next time as we explore the topic of trauma and its effect on the brain. We'll take a bit of an unorthodox approach to trauma therapy and apply some self-brain care tactics that can both help and prevent mental and emotional damage from traumatic situations. As always, you can keep up with me during the week by subscribing to my social media on Twitter, Instagram, Parlor, and MeWe, as well as subscribing to my weekly blog at www.graceopens.blogspot.com. I'll see you next week, and remember, Grace will always meet you where you are. Thank you.